everyone. This is Gloria, the host of the Love and the Work You Do podcast. And of course, today I have with me, Bonnie Maya Wallace. Um, and today we will be talking about grief as it relates to miscarriages. Um, Bonnie has that too, and she comes with um, a very, very robust um, experience with that. Um, she also developed a system that she believes is helpful to people. And to top it all off, off she also has a very vast experience with hospice. And this isn't just all that describes Bunny. She is also a yoga instructor. She does Reiki. She has a lot of things under her belt. So we're going to pull from all of that experience. And today we are going to learn about um, miscarriages as um, it affects us. And we will learn about how to cope through it um, as the grief that we all um, feel sometimes that comes through any loss that we have. Bunny, I'm so glad to have you here today. Gloria, thank you so, so much for having me. And that was such a very beautiful introduction and I'm so honored for that. So thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to share um, in any way that I might be able to help anyone who is going through miscarriage or, you know, recently experienced a miscarriage or potentially another grief inducing situation that um, they might be feeling sad or lost and searching for some hope. I was <laughs> the class uh, uh, nerd, like I was voted the um, actual, um, sorry, class klutz. Um, I was not very in tune with my physical body, very awkward. You know, I played music and the band and choir and all of those things and um, very intellectual. And then um, when I had my second child, I entered sort of this spiritual awakening and the spiritual, you know, side of things. And I did it through a practice called Nia which is an integration of yoga, dance, and martial arts. And that sort of, that took me on this journey <laughs> of um, sort of growing into myself, basically. And um, it sort of weaves its way, that foundation weaves its way through everything I do. Um, yeah. And especially, you know, my, my first career, um, is as a board certified music therapist. And I do have extensive training in that. And that is when I've done my, my hospice work um, as a music therapist, um, being with people through the dying process. So um, yeah, I do a lot. There's a lot. I think you did a great job summarizing it though. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I left out the music therapy part, but that, yeah. we got it. We got it all now, I think. Yes, yes, yes. So that's, um, that's amazing. I was very curious to find out how you landed in the work that you do. So um, is this something that you always knew you wanted to be a music therapist, um, a Reiki um, 
facilitator is what that's what you I'm Reiki master now so yeah but no I I actually never (laughs) intended to do this um when I was in high school planning to go to college I was going to go into international business um and it's funny because I actually hope now that my business is expanding that I can travel and share this internationally so it's kind of funny I feel like it's kind of coming back around to me hopefully Mm -hmm. um within the next few years um but no I wanted to do business and then someone told me about music therapy and I had actually already applied to college so I had to go and change all of my applications and wow. and then once I finally got my degree and I started in the workforce, there was no opportunities in hospice. So I was working with other patients and other populations. And um, I wound up volunteering for a hospice just to get the experience. But mm-hmm. I told them at that point, I was like, I am not going to do music therapy for free because that is what I got a degree in. And I worked really hard for my credentials. Um, I will be a typical volunteer and I will sit at the bedside with, you know, whoever you need me to sit with. Mm -hmm. So that training was absolutely amazing. It helped me so much. And the biggest lesson I learned from that experience was how to just sit and how to just be. Um, And that sort of put me on this trajectory that I, I was hoping someday I could be a music therapist for hospice. It just took a long time for me to eventually get to it. <laughs> and okay. as far as, you know, the yoga, like I said, when I started having children after my miscarriages, I eventually was able to have children. And after my second son, I was home full time and I just felt very like icky. Like I had lost track of myself and I didn't know like who I was anymore I just felt like I had been home with these babies like hanging literally hanging off of me physically Mm -hmm. (laughs) like sucking my prana (laughs) through my breasts (laughs) and I just felt so like drained you know from like having Mm -hmm. like being and I mean I think most moms experience that especially if you're home full time you don't get a break away at all you know And it had been three years that I had been home with no break. And I finally said, you know, I really want to go back to Mia, the, you know, dance, martial arts and yoga. And so I found a place to start going once a week and I was driving quite a ways. And I was like, you know, there really should be somebody that teaches this close to me. Mm. There should be a class nearby me. And I was the class plus. So I, I was like, I don't really know if I could do this, I was really scared to do the training, but I was like, you know what, what do I have to really lose? Like, it'll be a nice break away from my family. I'll give it a go and see if I can try teaching it. And that was 14 years ago. And I've been teaching, you know, body practices, (laughs) you know, that went, it went from Mia and then to, you know, um, Reiki and shamanism and yoga. And I've been teaching all of these things now for 14 years. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And now it's that. like I've added on <laughs> paddleboard yoga and aerial yoga and like things that I never thought that I could do that I now teach. Like I didn't think I could even do it, like let alone teach it. <laughs> That's um that's definitely inspiring because I feel like, you know, there are those things that we all feel like we can't do. And then you push yourself um, 
a little bit and then you do it. So for me, anyway, that's inspiring. In spite of what it appears like, like we all have everything figured out. Sometimes, you know, we're just all pushing through. Um, it also seems like the story is similar because me personally, even I was working nine to five, but I still felt, I think mine came after my divorce. Like then I just was like, oh, wait, something's missing. Like I'm not all of me. Like, um, so how do I get me back? And then I went on that journey. So um, it's glad, it's great, not glad that, that we all at least are in tune enough with ourselves to pick up that that thing when we feel like oh wait something is missing and then you try to explore and go on a journey to find it out so thank you thank you thank you love the and answer it's to that so easy for women for us mm -hmm. to get lost because oh my we, we sort of live to be the mom right I mean for many of us who choose the role yes. as mom and, and we, this role sort of overtakes everything as, mm -hmm. as, it, as it, it, it's a good thing that it does, right? And it still does. And so we are so prone to just losing the sense of who we were before we became mom. Yeah. Who am I outside of mom? Or in your case, wife, like, who am I outside of wife? Like, it's like, there's something in here that's not necessarily more, but it's, equally valid and needing to express yes, it in another yes. way and it's like re-tapping into that place that needs to be expressed and needs to expand in some way right yes it's and I think yeah. there's probably women listening right now who are in that place of like feeling that loss it is a loss right you sort of go full in <laughs> to this one role and lose all the other rules you know yes and I, that just seems like another topic to discuss again, because it's like how, what happens? Why does that happen? And um, it's almost like we were never fully formed um, as um, in our youth or maybe um, what, what do we, yeah, it's youth, right? Youth is what happens after um, you transition out of being a teenager. And I feel like then you get yourself into all this becoming other people you know you become what your spouse wants or your partner you become what your children want when you have them or like I always also like to say like you can be part of a community you know a cause um or something and then you also totally get lost in in that or even maybe a project because sometimes I wonder for you know like the child actors um who start early, like, and then you see their struggle um, and you just wonder for them. But at the same time, you see other people like Lisa Bonet and some other ones who were just themselves from the beginning. Like, and I know I'm totally off tangent now, but hopefully it's still <laughs> No, but I, I really relate to that. You're, it's so true. There are some that get so pulled in and they get so like this is what you have to do and yes. they they're so controlled and then you're right there are some who really resist and they keep themselves out of yeah. you know that yes 
I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, but this is something that can be relatable to anyone, really, not just women, like, you know, people who might lose themselves in a job, right? And mm-hmm. feel like that's the only identity they have is their job. And then they've lost themselves in putting everything into their job or, yes. you know, being, in, you know, a, a celebrity or whatever. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. Such good conversation. All right. So now we're going to get to the, the grief part. Um, and so I know in a prior conversation, I know that you had two miscarriages. Um, I also know that now you do have, um, I'm going to say you have kids up to 17 years of age. I've forgotten um, the, <laughs> the other ages. I have, I have, have four, boys. four boys. Four boys. So one twin, mm-hmm. um, and then, so that would make two regular birth and then one twin birth. So um, what I'm curious about, I'm really curious. I, I want to know, um, and this might also be a trigger thing for anyone listening, um, if you've had a miscarriage in the past um, or you just had one recently, so trigger warning but I'm just curious. I haven't had a miscarriage, but in 2020, we've seen a lot of people come out. Um, The Duchess um, came out saying that she had a miscarriage. Um, We know that Chrissy Teigen had a miscarriage. Um, I don't know who else, but at least those were the two people this year that made miscarriage very visible to all of us and to show like the empathetic side. So does it feel different? And I say that because I felt some, so everything is adversity in a way, right? It's something that comes to disrupt your normal. I felt, I know how being brokenhearted feels like. I know what death feels like. I haven't had a miscarriage. How does it feel like, like the day before you find out, the day after you find out, and how do you deal with the days after? Wow, that's a really good question. And when I give my answer, I know that I can only speak for myself and how it felt for me. And I have no idea what anyone else's experience is. Um, I can only speak from my own place of what I experienced. And I had two miscarriages. Um, The first miscarriage that I experienced, I was um, scared actually to be pregnant. I wasn't planning on having a kid at that time yet. And um, I had, you know, we were just married and I wasn't quite ready to give up my career path and, you know, go into the whole mom scene quite yet. And (laughs) I, um, so I was kind of scared to be pregnant and I was happy that we were having a baby, but like a little bit like, oh my God, I'm not ready for this. Like, how am I going to even handle this? And then, um, when we found out that the baby was not alive, I had gone into the um, um, midwife for my appointment at 11 weeks and she couldn't find the heartbeat with the little monitor. 
And she was like, oh, I'll just sneak you in and I'll put it on the um, ultrasound so we can see it. So she like brings me into the ultrasound room. She turns on the machine and there was like a baby inside of me that wasn't moving and there was no heartbeat. And she was like, oh, she was like, it's not moving. Oh my God. And I'm like, is what I, I didn't know what it should be doing because it was my first pregnancy. So I'm like, what does that mean? She's like, mm-hmm. it's not, she's like, I, I can't say because I'm not the ultrasonographer. She's like, so you're gonna have to come back. And I was like, okay. Mm. She's like, yeah, the heart's not beating and it's not moving. So that's not good. So for me, I went home that night and I was devastated. I mean, my cat who had been like snuggling up to my belly, Mm -hmm. stopped snuggling up to my belly. She wouldn't come near it. And I just felt like, oh my God, there's a dead baby inside of me right now. And it was like shocking with how I felt. And I was praying to God, like, you know, God, please, like, I just want a miracle. Like, I don't know what this could be. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow when I have to go back. I'm just praying for a miracle. So I went back and the ultrasonographer couldn't find the baby anymore in there. So they said it had like, whatever, disappeared. I don't know. It was gone. (laughs) So they, um, you know, told me that I would have to have a procedure to have it removed. Mm-hmm. So, um, thankfully I went back with someone that could drive me because, um, I didn't know that it was going to be painful or like hurt as much as it did the procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, it like, it was kind of horrific. And, um, you know, when I came back home, I just was devastated and I didn't, I hadn't told very many people that I was even pregnant because we were waiting until 12 weeks and this was at 11 weeks. So hardly anyone knew. So there I was like bleeding in pain, sad that the baby had died and was gone Mm -hmm. and couldn't talk to hardly anyone Mm -hmm. because no one knew that I was even pregnant for that miscarriage. I, just kind of thought, well, maybe it's a fluke. People were like, oh, sometimes that just happens, whatever. And then when the second one happened, it was much more traumatic. And I um, wound up knowing that the funeral home, the local funeral home could come and take the remains for me. And they came, they were so helpful. They took the remains. Um, They called me when they got it. The funeral Mm -hmm. home said, we have the remains. do you want to see it? And I said, yes. So I went to the funeral home. They allowed me to see the remains of the second miscarriage. They cremated it for me. And then I was able to sprinkle the ashes in my parents' backyard with my husband, my parents, my in-laws. And we sort of honored the lives of both babies. So we really did take the time to grieve the loss. And I don't think it really matters if someone believes that life starts at incarnation or whether where along the line they believe the life starts because I think for many women 
maybe mm -hmm. dare I say most women, <laughs> once you're pregnant, you start planning like, okay, yeah. well, we need to do this and we need to do this and I need to do this. And how am I going to do this? And like, you kind of like to have things like figured out and planned yeah. out. So, so whether you believe that the life started or not, mm -hmm. you've still started creating a plan and a life for the baby that's inside mm -hmm. of you. Right. Yes. And then when somebody says, oh no, like <laughs> that life is over now <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that you just dreamed up in your mind. Now there's, there's a hollow space, right? And the womb is hollow. Whether you believe that the heartbeat means there's a soul and it's an actual human uh, or whatever, like there's, there's a hollow space in the womb where that body was growing. Mm -hmm. So there is a real loss that I don't think our culture witnesses and recognizes mm -hmm. because they just consider it like a medical procedure and they make it very like medical and it's just a thing and it happens to people and move on just try again like mm -hmm. just try again move on you know and it's like okay but this was like <laughs> there was a life that I was planning that now is yeah. not happening and now I yeah. have to added like worry like what if I can't have a baby now because now at that point I was 26 and I felt like my body was falling apart. I'm like, mm, mm, I'm that's scary. all the time. I've lost two babies. No one seems to know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I can't have children. No doctor seems to be able to explain it to me. So then I like start developing anxiety and not having any real answers or any real support. So mm. then developing this anxiety about like, well, maybe I can't have a kid. Maybe I'm, my body is broken forever. Like I'm, I can only imagine that there are other women who have mm -hmm. experienced that or are experiencing that right now. That was mm -hmm. beautiful that they could um, let you have the, the corpse um, and to go through the process with it to, to, you know, do the cremation and, you know, just honor the life of it. Like you mentioned, like, is it a life? when it gets born or was it already a life at um, inception? And I feel like that's, um, again, I'm going to go back to, to my dad because the reason why we're having this conversation <laughs> is because of the grief I'm going through. And just to understand it from other perspective is to see, oh, you know, in me, I'm like, oh, you know, this, this is a lot, but then to now see other people grieving too and, my thoughts is there's not difference in my grief. Sometimes the world sees one grief as being more, maybe taking up more space and makes more sense. Whereas some other type of grief, like the grief that's associated with a miscarriage, you know, that emotion, that grief isn't given the same space as it would a death of a child who turned one, right? Or maybe the death of a parent, like my dad dying at 76, or even other people um, dying, even this year, Lord help us, we've had so many deaths, um, you know, so those deaths are more valid than in the eyes of other people than a miscarriage. But I feel like with this conversation, like, and maybe even before, I know like there's no difference 
because there is no way like it's not going to leave you traumatized in a funny way, at least to, to, so that you're able to go through the emotions, you know, and that's what I mean when I said traumatized, like the emotion that comes with it, you have to go through all of that. You have to go through the grief. And, you know, if anyone is listening, maybe that has had a miscarriage in the past or is going through one, like your grief in a way, I feel like that's what Bonnie is saying too, like your grief is valid. So how did you heal? I know you have a process um, that you call the Renew Body Sequence. Um, is that the process that you used to heal your womb after the two miscarriages so that you could now, um, now that you have four beautiful boys? So actually the answer to that is actually no. <laughs> Because I didn't, I wasn't even close to developing renew body sequence after uh -huh. I had the two miscarriages. Okay. Um, when I, after I had the two miscarriages, I was very sick, like many, many symptoms. Um, I had GI issues. I was falling asleep when I was driving. I had a horrible rash that was like, it would wake me up in the night. So itchy. I couldn't sleep. I had gone to doctors, gallons and gallons of blood. No one could tell me. And then um, it turned out that I have gluten intolerance. And oh, I don't know that okay. a lot of people realize that gluten intolerance can be linked to fertility issues, wow. but it is an autoimmune disease. And so my body was in this autoimmune response and like attacking itself. So mm. it couldn't hold, I, I think it couldn't hold the pregnancy. Um, so I had gone on a gluten-free diet and then, um, I also was put on progesterone. So those two things, um, helped me. Oh. Um, and I know that other people have had other things help them, but I did do, um, some, a healing exchange with a woman um, who had a miscarriage and she was, you know, feeling like she wasn't going to be able to have children. And I was like, well, are you eating gluten? And are you, you know, are you eating not, you know, organic or are you eating a lot of like toxic things? And she was like, no, I'm doing all clean eating. Oh, wow. And I was okay. like, you know, I think I, I said to her, cause I did her a numerology reading for her. I also do numerology reading. I said, I really think you're going to have a child. Like I really, I really believe it. And she did, she wound up having twins. <laughs> so I think, I think Whoa. if we're keeping the body clean, right? Like, so organic foods, gluten-free foods, so not eating these like toxic chemicals and mm -hmm. um, things that create this, even people who um, aren't gluten intolerant, mm -hmm. gluten causes a lot of, um, the, the body to become inflamed. It's an inflammatory food. So it's really not the best anyway. Like it, it really shouldn't be eaten to the extent that we do eat it. Yeah. So that was how I healed that. Okay. But that was only in my physical body, right? Um, it didn't heal my emotional body. Mm. <laughs> it didn't heal my mental body. <laughs> it, it didn't heal my soul. Mm -hmm. I was able to physically have children and then the trauma of those events continued to linger in my emotional body and my mental state in my, and I didn't know it. 
until I sort of, I had an awakening at the age of 33 where I opened up as a channel and that's when I downloaded this Renew Body sequence. And as it came into me, when it was being downloaded, I literally was simultaneously reliving every traumatic event that I had had up until that point, up until the age of 33, mm. which, I mean, I almost died at the age of five. I almost died at the age of 13. I had these miscarriages. When my first son was born, I almost died in the recovery room. So mm. all at once, I was like reliving all of these experiences and um. downloading this healing practice to move it through the physical body. And once I started using this renew body sequence is what I'm calling it. Um, it, it um, helped my body to mm -hmm. reintegrate in all facets, you know, the physical body, the emotional body, the mental body, my soul, like everything kind of has come into full integration. And that was back in 2009. So I've been doing this now for 11 years. Um, and I've been sharing it in classes and with other people. And I've seen what a dramatic effect it can have for other people um, in healing their trauma. The saying that you love, right? The by the age of 36, there are people who've known grief and known its impact. No, and know it and its impact. That seems to be all yours because I, I yeah. think, right? But I mean, do you mind if I rephrase it? Yes, rephrase it because I think I, I, I wrote it down wrong. That's okay. By the age of 36, there's two types of people. So there's people who've been through trauma or grief and know it. And there's people who've been through trauma or grief and don't know it. So mm. there's, there's the people who are aware and like you are on a healing journey mm. because they are aware of the impact that it's had on them. Mm -hmm. And then there are the people who try to just stop it and pretend that everything's fine and just go on as if it didn't affect them mm. and those two paths <laughs> lead to very different outcomes <laughs> can you share the outcomes like I feel like like I'm really grieving my dad I'm not gonna lie like <sighs> dad's girl like it wasn't even like I was the only girl like my dad had five girls but like did he tell you that you were his favorite he didn't but you just knew you were his favorite like <laughs> if he was talking to you like it was just like totally devoted to you and you know would give the shirt off his back of course he was also a dad and you know did behaved in dad ways but but he was just all fully present and if he couldn't be present it wasn't with you. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was, it was always there. And um, I guess at the end of the day, you know, in life, you just think, um, 
you think you're doing what you're supposed to do with your parents, right? The older they get, you hang out with them, you do this, you do that. But I didn't know, like, you know, we're also like this bond um, that comes from being a daughter, um, you know, sitting at the foot of your father, that you were also building, you know, that soul connection, which he had when he was born. And now me being born, I'm connected to him. I totally didn't see that coming. So that has made, um, it's made it really, really um, hard. But the great thing is we went ahead and he's buried. He died October 28th and the burial was like a month later. So we've moved past that. I feel like that put a closure literally <laughs> on things to move forward. But that grief is still there. Like, like I'll be okay and I'll be like, wait, why? Why did he have to die now? Like, you know. I, I want to share a funny story. I'll never forget this hospice family I had. And it was a mom that was dying. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she had like five kids. And they're all like sitting around the bedside. And they're like, no, I was her favorite. No, I was her favorite. <laughs> I was her favorite. No, she told me I was her favorite. And they're like sitting there while this person is dying. And like she had effectively told every single one of them that they were the favorite and they all believed it. And like they're sitting there like, wow, she's like, and it was just, it was literally the funniest thing. In my mind, I like to think it's like a smart mom. I know. They all thought that they were the that's the second time I'll hear that. I know someone else who said that. I think it's my, um, was it? it's my pastor, I think. Uh, as she said, her dad made everyone, everyone was their dad's favorite. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's really good. <laughs> I know my kids keep trying to ask me who's the favorite. And I keep telling them, you're all my favorite and you're all my least favorite. I know, right? You all, like, when you were doing the thing that you know you shouldn't be doing and you do it anyways, like, you are then my least favorite. favorite. Oh, Lord, I love that. When you are I am going to the right things, you are all my favorite. <laughs> I am going to steal that. I'm going to steal that. So, did, did that, um, so the, the two groups, <clears throat> the group I fall in, you feel like there's hope for us in the future because we're processing. Yeah, you want me to predict the future? I don't know. Like I, so <laughs> I, I think that the people who don't know it are <laughs> most likely to develop some type of chronic issue, mm-hmm. some type of chronic illness, and it, it'll be like a mystery illness, and no one's gonna know what what caused it and where it came from. Mm. And, oh, why is this? Well. If you have unhealed grief in your system and you're like doing nothing to like process that, like your your whole body is like that emotional imbalance is gonna throw your whole system off. I mean, this is like the the tenet mm. of Eastern medicine, right? So I mean, I think it would be to that person's advantage to take inventory of where they might, if if you're over the age of 36 and you're going, oh, I don't have any grief. Well, I think you're lying to yourself, to be quite honest. Hmm. (laughs) But (laughs) I think there's probably something there that potentially you could be in denial of. 
And yeah. in that denial, you could be creating a chronic health situation for yourself that you don't even know. And that Western medicine will not be able to touch because they don't get that. You know what I mean? At all. And it, there's no like trajectory for that other than, you know, the, give you a pill and not the symptoms mm-hmm. and then you might get better and then something else will come up and, and you might get better from that and something else will come up. So it's like, unless you deal with the trauma and the grief in a way that mm-hmm. you really feel it from the inside in all aspects, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, unless you like really work to heal in all four of those areas, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's going to show up in ways that you don't want it to. Right. Yeah. yeah. So And again, like, I'm not a medical doctor. (laughs) I can't give medical advice. Mm -hmm. I am speaking from a place of spiritual experience and experience with, you know, what I've experienced in my body and seen and witnessed. Um, I'm a witness, not a medical doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. But as far as the people who, like you, are Mm -hmm. aware and in tune and seeking answers you know i think for you there's this event right the loss Mm -hmm. of dad that event could potentially be the biggest gift you've ever Mm -hmm. been given Mm -hmm. because once you go down the spiritual path of seeking you then open yourself up to the gift yes yes and that's what I'm doing like you know it's a good thing like I remember saying at the sometime in the middle of the death no was after his burial my word was everything that God does is good you know I think in Genesis, after he created the world, you know, there was that, there was that, that word that um, he said, which was um, that everything, yeah, everything God made was good. And so to me, you know, even though it hurt, it's like, okay, that's my dad. God wouldn't have taken him if there wasn't a purpose behind, behind it. And so all I'm doing is like, okay, now I'm just expectant of the good that will come um, out of it. And <clears throat> on one one of the people I know had also said um, personally, like, oh, you know, just think about it as now you have two fathers in heaven. And I thought that was really profound. Um, Love that you know, one quote came to my mind I believe it through me but I'm not sure but it's no lotus no mud no mud no lotus no mud no lotus and it's because the lotus flower blooms out of like the muddy water and it's Mm. like you know just like with a diamond that comes from you know is formed from being like you know agitated right or like a pearl that forms it's like a grain of sand in the shell that becomes agitated and aggravated and over time it's agitation and aggravation slowly creates the coating that becomes the pearl right Mm -hmm. so it's like in order to have the pearl 
it needed the agitation. In order to grow the lotus, we need the mud. So in order for us to really attain whatever it is our soul is seeking to expand into, we mm -hmm. need to experience, part of our human experience is grief and trauma. There's no way around it. People around us are going to pass. We can't escape that. And so then how do we create the lotus? Like how do we create an environment that will grow the lotus out of the mud? Because you can have mud with no lotus, but you can't have lotus without mud. You know, one thing that came to my mind was um, a soccer ball that for some reason has something inside of it, right? And that's what that person will be carrying around. It's like there's some extra thing that, you know, you're supposed to kick a ball and it should go without making any noise or without having anything inside of it. But yet it has that. So that popped into my head. Then yeah, I was also, you can't kick right? the ball effortlessly you because it's going to have a sound like a heavy weight that'll slow yes. it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. you're kind of weighed down with this thing that mm -hmm. hasn't been able to sort of live through you. It's like, I feel like grief, I mean, for me and my experience with it is that I had to let it live through me. Mm. I had to let it be in me. Yeah. And part of when I had my awakening at 33, part of what spurred that awakening actually <laughs> was the training that I was in had this thing where you move through five stages and she had five stages, which was embryonic, creeping, crawling, standing, and walking. Hmm. Ended with walking. So like you would move through these in your body and it was like this health self healing practice. And I would go and then I would be dancing and like, really expressive. And then we would come down on the floor afterwards, right. To like cool down or whatever. And I would literally fall on the ground in a puddle of tears and just feel this sense of like sobbing and like just grieving and not even knowing why or where it was coming from. And then I would sit up afterwards to like end and namaste. And I would feel like Literally, as I walked out the door, I felt as though I was being reborn. Hmm. And I had this like really profound spiritual experience that I was like, this is what Jesus is speaking of hmm. in his quote about being reborn. Like I've been into born again Christian churches and like stood up at the altar and like understand that concept yeah. of born again. Mm -hmm. But I felt like there was a layer of me shedding mm. completely different from the person I walked in the mm -hmm. door 90 mm -hmm. minutes previously. Like I was not even the same. And That's I literally was, I was reborn and I was like, how can I take her five stages and add this element that it's missing after walking, which mm -hmm. is dying because we all die and allowing yeah. that experience of the death and mm -hmm. then allowing the moment to re be reborn mm -hmm. and start again. Mm. And what comes in between? Because part of Renew Body Sequence also incorporates what comes in between. So I have 13 phases mm -hmm. and they are set like a clock, right? 
So it's one through 12. And then in the center is zero. Okay. So that's the 13th is actually zero. And zero is like the center of everything. It's the still point. It's the oneness. Mm. Um, it's, it's holding everything as it is. Right. And then the one through 12 is what yogis refer to as like the samskara. It's like this wheel of birth, death, rebirth, death, rebirth. <laughs> and it's divided into these 12 seasons. So like mm-hmm. one through three represents the spring and then okay. four five, six represents the summer. And then seven, eight, nine is the fall. And then 10, 11, 12 is the winter. So it's like what happens in that winter time, we often jump over. We Mm want to go from death to new life. We want to just get ourselves like back on track. So Mm -hmm. death happens. We forget to grieve. We forget to honor that space in between. I think culture does actually a better job of most other cultures because they will like sit Shiva, I believe they call it. And they'll like really hold space Uh, for a longer time than other cultures will to like, really honor this process we need to to do a great job and um i think it's funny because even before my dad died um i'd gotten into what's his name um willard is his name he wrote the book he didn't write the book but he practiced um soul keeping um and so that was in the months and months before my dad's death I was always into into that like and what soul keeping does is it's that space between when things were perfect and things are not perfect and what do you do to keep yourself going you know is to just be and sit in that place and and Dallas Willard is his name and the book is um was written by John Ortberg called soul keeping and I've read the book twice. I'm probably going to read it again in 2021 because I just love it. It gives you permission to grieve and to understand what grieving is. It's like anything, death, loss, um, you know, you just feel like you don't want to be committed somewhere else again. And you want to pull yourself out. Like, yes, you can do that. You feel tired. You feel burnt out. There's space for that. And sometimes, like you said, like the world we live in just tells you to to move on but I feel like we can move on gradually like figure out a system that works for you and then slowly you know integrate back in I know for a fact that some of the things that I used to do before my dad passed like I can't do it at 100% capacity but I also know it takes 30 days to break a habit right and 30 days to form a habit So it's like, wait, if it takes 30 days to break it, 30 days to form it, like I can break it in this 30 days. So it's it's like a juggle between, all right, this day I'm not capable of doing everything, but I'll do a little bit of the things I can do, but then I'll still grieve. You know, I'll do what I can do of those things I used to achieve before, but then I'll, you know, I'll still find time to do a little grieving, but not to dismiss, um, what I used to do before my routines and not to dismiss the grieving either. So um, hopefully I'm doing it. I, yeah. And I want to say, I don't know that there's any right way to grieve. I mean, mm. I think 
each person is going to be involved in their own way, right? So I think the, the challenge comes when people might feel a tug or a pull um, that they might need more work um, to breathe. And rather than following that tug or that pull, they just close it off. Uh, and I'm just going to buckle up and, you know, man up or, you know, move on or whatever. You know, these these kind of cultural concepts yeah. of like, you know, yeah. just move on, just get over it. Like, and I think that's really toxic, honestly. And I, I think that those kind of statements like, oh, just move on, just get over it. Like, whatever, those things are what lead to illness. And I believe like when you say the work, um, I know I, I know someone who said like, you know, sometimes like even in prayer um, and like that was the work they had to go get done to help them heal. Like they had to ask like people to form a prayer circle around them so that they could um, do it not in their own power, but like in the strength of others too. So yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of work that goes, um, goes into it. Um, okay, one other thing. So while you were talking about that and um, still on the people who know and the people who don't know, mm -hmm. um, there's a resource, so for anyone listening, there's a resource that I'm aware of. You may remember when I say it. it's the the ACE score. Um, there's a there's a there's a sheet uh, made by the one of the associations I can't remember, but I'll link it in the in the blog write up. Um, but it's an ACE score where if you go through it, you'll be able to determine if you actually have any trauma from the past. The, an A score is a tally of different types of abuse, neglect, and other hallmark of rough childhood. Um, according to the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, the rougher your childhood, the higher your score is likely to be. <laughs> wow. And the higher, and, your, and like you said, and the higher your risk for later health problems. Look at that. Oh, so even it's like documented and proved that this actually causes health problems. Oh, so yeah. I didn't even need to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you, no, you didn't. Because like, because some things are really intuitive. Um, you know, it's like you get the, the wisdom, right? Yeah. Downloaded directly into you. And so, you know, when someone is dying, um, some people know they're going to die. Well, like people maybe that have cancer and they've been told this is how many days you have left. Or even in times of that we're in now, um, in COVID, where maybe someone has been admitted and they've been told they have so many days to live, right? How do you, and I know you mean you're not a medical doctor, but from your hospice experience, how do you hold space for them and you at the same time so that you you know that at least you're doing a little bit of something right? I don't know if it's ever going to be all right, but, but, you know, you just have such short time. 
how do I hold space for you? Like, be it like a year, a bit like you have one day and myself at the same time. So um, this is a great question. And um, there's a couple of layers to the answer. So I'm going to just kind of rewind and explain a little bit about hospice because okay. not everyone understands hospice or, and hospice can be a scary word for some people. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So hospice um, was started to provide people with a peaceful passing with as few medical interventions as necessary. So basically the goal of hospice is to remove unnecessary medical interventions and to only provide comfort. So it's comfort measures only. And that comfort is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So hospice is actually a federally funded program through Medicare. And oh, wow. it's free. So if you have a diagnosis from two medical providers that um, says you have six months or less to live, mm -hmm. you are entitled to hospice services. And it comes from Medicare for free. So some people don't understand that when they choose hospice, this is a free service. This is federally funded. You don't have to pay extra for it. And what's going to happen is the person who's dying is electing to give up interventions that are making life more miserable for them. Right. Cause a lot of times, you know, the medical model, there are some, especially with like cancer and stuff, things, yeah. can, some treatments can become just like a lot like dialysis, yeah. for instance, it become a lot. And then at that point, it's like a person is just like, you know what? I don't want to live this quality of life. I don't want this quality of life anymore. Like I, I, I just want to live in comfort, in mm -hmm. peace. You know, if they're in a medical facility, maybe they want to go home to just be at home with their family. What happens is hospice comes in and it's mandated nursing, personal care, mm -hmm. spiritual support, uh, social work. So there's a chaplain for every hospice, social work. So there's, you know, psychological, emotional support. And not only do you have the hospice services through the dying process, but then it's extended for mm. bereavement. You get bereavement uh, support for 13 months. Oh, wow. And it's all free. So people don't understand, like, this is, I think, one of the best uses of our federal funds available. <laughs> I think it's mm -hmm. one of the best things that our government tax dollars do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know that people realize that. Um, I so, don't. <laughs> right. Most people don't know this. So um, part of the history of hospice you know, when somebody has that six months or less to live, people in hospice services like me, we can go and provide care. And mm. there's so many layers to the care. But for the most part, people working in hospice are just compassionate 
people that want to help, right? And part of what we do is to just sit and be present mm-hmm. and hold space and gently provide support and encouragement and explain the dying process so that people who've never watched someone die before know what to expect so they know what's going to happen next so it's less traumatic you know um as a board certified music therapist what I would do is to find out about the patient's musical preferences and music Uh that's important to them and I would sit next to them and I would sing these songs um which a lot of times would elicit a response um, more so than they were capable in any other setting. Like they would be losing the ability to talk and move, but I would sing, they would open their eyes, they would move their hands, they would even sing with me when they weren't talking. Like all of these amazing things would happen. Now, um, this is, you know, very different than what's happening with COVID patients. And I don't know that people are aware of this, but um, I, as a hospice music therapist, would go into many different nursing homes. Um, I did not wear a mask because it wasn't required, but imagine singing with like a mask and a shield and, and like full coatings of gear and like trying to play a guitar and sing oh. with all that. Um, it's not possible. (laughs) Yeah. You're not connecting. So what's happening now is even patients who are on hospice and have six months or less to live Mm -hmm. with a different diagnosis other than COVID Mm -hmm. are not allowed services. I have been kicked out of facilities since March. I can't go in. So what is happening now is very different. Anyone in a facility who's on hospice is getting one-tenth of the services that they were getting. The nurses can only go in like the last couple days right before the person dies. No family can go in or very minimal family only right at the time of death. They'll call and say the person's transitioning come now. So they're missing the six months building up to the death to like process the grief Mm. because they can't go in. So what's happening with COVID, I personally on a personal level think is a tragedy because I feel that there are people who are already going to die anyways are being denied their human rights to a peaceful supported death because of these COVID rules. Mm -hmm. Now Mm -hmm. I understand why they're making the rules. However, I don't know that the way that they're doing it is effective. And my solution that I would prefer to see is them having separate units Mm-hmm. So that there's people who, you know, want to live out the rest of their days and don't mind the risk of getting COVID, have signed a waiver that they've lived mm. enough of their life and they don't want to wear a mask. They want, they don't want, you know, to miss seeing out their family, all of these things. They understand the risks. They understand, you know, and have a unit for those people. And then the other ones that, you know, want to, you know, try to prolong their life for as long as they can to have. But right now, I, I so so to answer your question is a little bit of a trigger for me <laughs> because no, I'm passionate about it. I, I do really feel sad 
for what's happening right now, not just for COVID patients because they're dying alone without their family. And I don't believe that's the fault of um, anyone who, Mm -hmm. you know, just lived their life. That is the way the medical system is handling this. And they, they could create a unit for people who are assuming risk, but Mm -hmm. they are choosing not to do that. But you know what you just said has also given me a better appreciation of all the once in a month viral video I see that people are throwing for um, the older people in the um, in either the hospice or just the um, adult living community. That just gives me a better perspective why that makes so much sense. Because I, I just thought about that now I'm like, oh, they don't get to see their family. They're not seeing their families. They're not seeing service providers. They can't even go in the nursing facilities. I mean, I live in Massachusetts where we have some of the strictest regulations in the country right now. So I don't, I can't speak to other states, but in our state right now, our residents in these facilities can't leave their rooms to go to the dining hall and eat together. Mm, They're isolated in their room with zero contact. Wow. They don't even see each other. Hmm. That's a lot. We should should do a lot of Zoom things for them. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, some, you know, the facilities are doing some FaceTime and Zoom things. Mm -hmm. um, But I still think that People at that age, to be honest with you, they don't really get this. Like I've done Zoom music therapy or mm-hmm. FaceTime music therapy with them. They can't, I, I just see the hopelessness in their eyes and they, they mm-hmm. can't connect through this medium. It's not, they don't even they look at it and they're like, <laughs> like, thank God, at least this month, um, or should we say this week, you know, the Moderna and the, um, What's the other one called? The Pfizer. Vaccine. The Pfizer vaccines are there. Um, even though I know we're all still skeptical about getting the vaccines, but you know, it's good to know that we're getting closer to um, whew, this deadly pandemic being resolved. So, so that's um, that's something. But as we wrap up, I feel like we could go on and on. Who knew grief was fun? <laughs> I know, right? We're making grief great. <laughs> I know, like this is really, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, so, as we wrap up, let me. Um, I don't. I, just one thing, like, what's one beautiful thing that, even though like, it's grief, it's um, it's death, it's miscarriage, it's you know, it's our emotions. And we may have mentioned this already, but if there's like one or two things that we could learn from it, maybe. I think that uh, makes sense though, but I do think that okay. if if we allow it to take us mm-hmm. on a journey, if we if we let it live in us and mm-hmm. live through us, we let it vibrate within our frequency and then shift if we allow this 
and the allow brief. ourselves to be on the path. Hmm. Okay. It, it will eventually transform to our greatest teacher, our greatest ally, our, our, our greatest gift. Because, hmm. I mean, especially when you had someone who you're grieving that you loved, like your dad, you truly can, you know, look back mm -hmm. at that love as, you know, that old saying, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Yes. Just yeah. to have, yeah. just to feel alive with that love. And uh, I see it. that small, tiny baby for a short period of time. And, yeah. and you felt a presence of love within you. Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. to know that that love was in you and it was created from love maybe you know or even if the person who impregnated you you might not be loving them anymore or never did love them there's still a sense that this pregnancy came through love somehow that there was a source of love that put it there right that it and was part of the journey that it was part of your experience Yes, yes. And to help you claim that love for yourself, right? So to like to really experience that deeper sense of love. I feel like mm -hmm. I recently, I know we're at the end, but I feel like this is a pearl that I really want to share. I recently had a conversation with a friend and I was talking to her about this feeling of love, this like pervasive feeling of love. And I don't know if it's a universal feeling or if only some people feel it, but it's like when you really feel connected to the source of love and like really, mm -hmm. really like magnetically feeling love in every cell of your body. Sometimes when I experience that at the same time, I experience grief. It's like, mm -hmm. I feel this overwhelming state of love and grief at the same time. Oh. And it's like the grief almost, allows the love and the love almost allows the grief and it's like I can't explain it but it, it's uh -huh. just the feeling of being alive like mm -hmm. to be a human being and to be able to experience all of it because in a human body we, that's what we do is we process mm -hmm. all of it right mm -hmm. I mean mm -hmm. if you believe that we transition once we transition we're just in that state of pure love, right? Mm -hmm. Without mm -hmm. any of these other human emotions. Yes, the the body's gone and yeah and our spirit is is what makes that that is um that's beautiful. I love that like to hold the same space for grief and love or joy. Um that's that should be our, our goal as we continue on the journey. So thank you so, so much, Bunny. Now we're going to turn the tables on you for a minute and be like, what, um, share your handles. Cause I know we in this age are on various platforms. Yeah, my, I am Bonnie Maya Wallace everywhere. So it's Bonnie Maya Wallace on Facebook, on Instagram, on um, TikTok. Oh, <laughs> it's on uh, LinkedIn, all the things. It's Bonnie Maya Wallace. I, I also have the domain name, BonnieMayaWallace.com. So, yeah. And um, what can you help people? Um, what problem can you help people solve? 
Well, if people are at that point of realizing that they have some stuff that they want to work through, um, I can do uh, Reiki and I can also do virtual um, Renew Body Sequence um, sessions where I basically help people move through the 13 phases in their body. And I will kind of customize a specific like set of yoga poses that correspond to all 13 that they can then take home and practice on their own. And I help people to create their own playlist on Spotify or iTunes or whatever their thing is so that they can then play that playlist while they do their renew body sequence. Amazing. Amazing. Do you have any, um, upcoming events or, um, just the regular ones? If you have one coming up. I teach virtual classes almost daily. So when you go to bonniemeyerwallace.com, there's a link to my yoga studio there and, um, you can register for, um, any virtual classes. I literally teach, um, um, six days a week. So Okay. Awesome. Okay. So that's, you all heard it. You want to do yoga. She is your girl. And um, let's even say you have someone um, who is in hospice. Bonnie might actually be able to do a Zoom with um, that family. Somebody wants to Zoom me for a music therapy session. I would love that if they have access to the individual and a iPad. All right. And um, I think on this note, we are going to end the podcast. It's been great having you here. I feel like we could go on and <laughs> and on forever. Like I said earlier, who knew that grief was, <laughs> it was this much fun? Um, but again, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you coming here. Um, and um Again, look forward to um, working with you in the future. Thank you so much, Maria. Bye.